be seated. And I want you to, Carol, if you could go back to that one that says, all the earth um, will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. This is the perspective of heaven and eternity. All the earth will shout your praise. What are they going to shout praise over? Jesus. What's Jesus represent for us? Life eternal, victory over sin and death. All the earth will shout your praise. All the earth will proclaim victory over sin and death. All the earth will shout your praise. The hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. We have victory over sin and death. And all the earth will shout that praise. Not just us here today. All the earth will shout that praise. All the earth. That's the victory that we have. Do you believe it? Can you shout Jesus with me? Ready? Jesus! Jesus! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, team. You may go down. Thank you very much. I got a little short table today. There we go. Yeah. I um This is this uh pregnant pause is me collecting my thoughts and really wanting to hear from the Lord and and uh I want to share a few things with you, and that is uh, the last few weeks, and last week I I really proclaimed it, that there's been a shift in our atmosphere, and that we're moving into a season of great joy and victory and freedom. And I wrote this note during worship to remind myself of the intensity before breakthrough. Think about that sentence for a minute. There's an intensity before breakthrough. What's that intensity? And why is there this this tension and it's intense? It's not just tension, but it's intense tension. There's... I want you to think about it. Just about the time we start to break through into this great joy and freedom, there's this extreme tension that happens before a breakthrough. I think of a, of a rubber band. And the more you stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, what happens eventually, it's going to break through. And sometimes it's painful if you're on the receiving end of the breaking, right? Yeah. But where I, I really have this sense in the spirit that there's this, this level of intensity that's increasing and it's growing and it's getting really intense. Not camping intense, but intense. It's it's not necessarily, well, in some ways it does contribute to this message this morning. Um, we're looking at the life of Paul in, in the book of Acts. We're in the second half of the book of Acts and looking at the life of Paul. And he had come into full realization of seeing things from uh, a heavenly perspective. Last week we talked about clothing ourselves uh, 
in our Sunday best and, and the different things that that looks like. But what happens is, is it, it, it's hard to clothe yourself in Sunday best when it's really intense. Because there's a lot of trial that comes when it's intense. I'm looking for Colossians here. But we have been raised to a new life with Christ. And as it said in verse 1, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Verse 12 of Colossians 3 says, Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When, when things are difficult, it's hard to clothe ourselves with those things. But we must choose. We must have a certain level of resolve. We were visiting last night with some people, and Dina had made mention of this word stubborn. It's good to be stubborn sometimes. Be stubborn about your faith. To be stubborn about clothing yourself uh, with, with the clothes that God would have us clothe ourselves with, which was be tenderhearted and merciful and faithful and loving. Be stubborn in those things. Because as we have this resolve or stubbornness in a time where the intensity grows, it's in that resolve that we will break through and see the victory and the freedom that has been promised. What has been promised? We just sang about. All the earth will shout His praise. That will happen. But we have to be resolved and we have to be stubborn about who we are in Christ and who He is in our lives. In Acts, there was a lot going on in, in what the world would deem and the Jewish people at that time would say it was turning the world upside down. There were some disruptions happening in the universe. Their lives were being turned upside down. They didn't like it. We, we saw it, I think it was Acts 14, where there was a, uh, a fortune-telling girl who was really uh, in, in bondage and slavery, being sold uh, because of her abilities to tell fortunes and the, and the demonic power that was over her. And, and as Paul and cast out that demon, they grew upset with Paul because now they lost their income, the owners of the girl. Later on, you read about him traveling to Philippi and Thessalonica and, and Corinth. And, and everywhere he went, they were saying, this man is disrupting things in our cities. He was being very disruptive. Uh, and, and they would think he was obnoxious. He, he, was, he was not allowing them to be comfortable or stuck in their place. He was being offensive. And what I have been struggling with or wrestling with as I study this word is, God, do you want us to be obnoxious and offensive? I, I think of whoever watched uh, Finding Nemo. Everybody seen it? And there's a little being in there, a little, I don't know, says, hi, I'm obnoxious. But um, anyhow, are we supposed to be offensive? Are we supposed to be obnoxious? And, and, and I don't mean that in a negative fashion. But what happened in Acts 19? And let me get to that story. And, and then I'll tie this all together because I don't want you leaving here today saying, hey, we're going to be offensive and obnoxious. But let's go through Acts 19. So Paul passed through uh, this country and came to Ephesus. So when he gets there, he found some disciples. Uh, he starts talking with these gentlemen, and he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said, in, into, what ba- into what were you baptized then? And they said, well, we were baptized in John's baptism. And John came before Jesus, and John the Baptist was out there telling people, you need to repent and turn from your wicked ways, and they were being baptized. And so this baptism was a repentance or a turning from doing bad. And he says, no, but you need to be baptized into the one that came after John, into Jesus' baptism. And so he said, after asking him how they were baptized, and they told him, and he said, uh, you need to believe in the one who has come after him, that is Jesus. And then on hearing this, they were all baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There's about 12 of them at that time. He comes into Ephesus. He starts to speak life and life more abundant and, and the true gospel that, there, that Jesus came for you, and he rose again, and you need to be baptized into that. And then you also need to be equipped with power to go and preach the gospel, to go and be the gospel. Not just to hear the gospel, but do the gospel. So that happens, and there was about 12 of them. So then he goes to the synagogue, as Paul usually did, as he went to the town center or the temple, the synagogue, and he starts teaching and preaching about Jesus and Jesus crucified. And every step along the way, it was disruptive. Why? Because they had built for themselves, in a sense, a business around religion. And now he's telling them that their business was bunk. And so they're like, no, 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 get this guy out of here. And people actually rose up in the synagogue and started uh, what they called the way. They started speaking against it. So Paul said, okay, so he moves on from there after a few months, and he goes to a a little schoolhouse called Tyrannus. And he's in the schoolhouse, and he starts teaching and preaching day in and day out for two years. Remember, they started with 12. Then after two years, in verse 10, it says, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. At this point, the the gospel is being spread throughout all of Asia. It went from 12 to all of Asia. That's how the word was being spread, because it was not a man. It was the spirit. It was the heavens that we're making sure that the gospel was being proclaimed, proclaimed throughout all the land. All the earth will praise his name, will shout his name. Great is the Lord, all the earth. And this was a fulfillment of that. And then it goes on, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. That even his handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. What had happened is people were being set free from bondage, from the, the oppression of the enemy. They were being set free to the point where God was using Paul. Paul had gotten to this place in his life that it wasn't Paul, but it was Christ in him. It wasn't about a man named Paul. It was always about Jesus and the Holy Spirit within him. And that spirit went out, and, as, and, and the sweat, I imagine, as he's preaching and the intensity of it all, as, as he'd wipe his brow with his handkerchief, they would take the handkerchief and they'd go lay it on people and they'd be healed and set free from bondage. It wasn't the, the sweat on it. It was the spirit going before and out of that place and continuing to set people free because God wants us free. He wants us free in him. And that he would use anything, if we would believe, to help set people free. Then there was these itinerant Jewish exorcists, these guys that would travel around trying to set people free and cast demons out of folks. And and I don't know that they were all that successful with it because they were even surprised when Jesus came and actually did it. So, But they had this business of doing it, so they're out continuing to do this. And, and I almost envision... You know, they had established this business. They weren't successful at it. They told people they were, and they would travel around. So they wouldn't stay in one place long enough to actually get proven. But as they would travel around, 
They heard about what was going on, so even they were trying to, in Jesus' name, perform miracles, but not to exhort or extol or to praise the Lord, but for their own glory. And And this is the story where you may have heard of the sons of Sceva, the seven sons of Sceva. The seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. And they were, they were trying to perform miracles in the name of Jesus, but not really for the sake of his glory. And so as they are out trying to do this, there was an evil spirit that answers to them and says, Jesus, I know, even the evil spirit knows the authority of Jesus. And it says, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize. See, and and what's so interesting about that, they didn't say, Paul, I know, because it wasn't Paul that was doing the work. He was recognized for the work that they knew in Jesus. It's not us that the enemy will begin to know. It's Jesus within us. What happens is, is that the enemy doesn't want us to get to the place where Jesus is so in us that we're recognizable. The enemy wants to keep you in the place of your life that you are unrecognizable. That you are identified by your your woes and your worries and your hurts and your concerns. That you're identified by your, your poverty and your, and your low living or your depression or, or your addiction. Because in that place, you are unrecognizable. The sons of Sceva were unrecognizable because they didn't know Jesus. They recognized Paul because Paul no longer lived. He was crucified with Christ. And now he was living fully for Jesus. He had counted the cost. He had had endured prison. He had endured shame. It It was not a glamorous thing for man. It wasn't glamorous for Paul. But back to the story. The Spirit says to them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they had to flee from the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled, lifted high was the name of Jesus. All of a sudden, it was serious. They started to understand it wasn't about the power. It was about what was behind the power, and that was Jesus. So during this time, people start confessing and and divulging their sins, and they were caught up in in magic and sorcery and all these sort sort of things, and then they started to lay those down and confess that. So the word of the Lord continued, though, to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 19.20. Mark that in your Bibles. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The word of the Lord will increase. The word of the Lord will prevail. I, I just have this sense that we're so close to breakthrough, but we're kind of at a standstill. It was, it's almost like a dog running on a leash, and it gets to the end of his leash, and it's, and he snaps back because it gets to the edge of breakthrough, but, but tension arose. But the promise is this. The word of the Lord continues to increase and prevails. You might get to the end of your rope and you might think breakthrough doesn't exist. If you, if you leave a dog on a leash long enough and you take off the leash, guess what? They'll still stay within the boundary of what the leash would allow. 
Because over time, they don't believe there's anything beyond that. There's, uh, you guys know what an invisible fence is you use for animals? It's an electronic collar that you can put on an animal, and, and when they start to run outside of that boundary, electronically, it will buzz them so that they don't want to do that. And so the same thing holds true. You can take that off of them after a period of time, and they still won't leave that boundary. I believe that had happened in this time in the Jewish church of that day, and it happens in this day today that there's been times we got to the edge of breakthrough and we had to snap back or we got buzzed or whatever it might be that said, don't go any further, and then we stop. And even when the fence doesn't exist any longer, we get to that place and we stop. The day is coming and is here, I would say, that breakthrough is right in front of us and we must step into it. The same things that held us back should not hold us back any longer, but you must believe in the word of the Lord that it will continue and it will prevail and you can be a part of that. Do you believe? Put aside the familiar. Put behind you the things that have held you back. Set your eyes and fix them on the horizon and on the things above, on heavenly things. Because it's the heavenly things that will cause the earthly things to fade away. I want to speak life and life more abundant into you. I want you to understand that wherever you're at right now, there is a breakthrough And some of it's just a step away. Paul had been in this, in Ephesus, and as he's doing these things, it it really caused a disturbance. And just before this immense breakthrough was to happen, what happened in the city is a riot broke out. There was a man, he was a silversmith, and, and he made uh, him and, and his uh, cohorts or other partners in business, they made idols. And these idols were the things that, that the whole city would worship. And so they'd purchase more idols, and, and it became a business for them. In verse 22, it says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, the way that being the message that was being taught by Paul and his disciples. And the men that were with him, his helpers, Timothy and Erastus. There was a man named Demetrius. In verse 24, it says, A silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together and the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. Again, religion had become a, a business of that day. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul, that even the enemy recognized because of Jesus in him, has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only in this trade of ours, that we may, may come into dis, dis, disrepute. We're going to end up losing our business and be poor because our business was helping people stay within the confines of idolatry. The fence I mentioned. That inside of that fenced-in area, idolatry was allowed and it was a safe place. So they thought. And that's where they could make Lots and lots of money. And now that had become threatened. That territory had become threatened. Because when the territory is small, the cost of business goes up. But when it begins to spread out, all of a sudden man's wealth has to fade away. And so what happened was they were like, we have to rise up against this and make it stop. 
Now, what they were really fearful was is that they were going to lose their income. But they didn't say what they felt. They caused another thing to rise up, and that was they didn't want to see Artemis, the, 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 the goddess of that area that was being worshipped. They didn't want to see that fake idol, that unrealistic god, not be honored. So they, all, they were all enraged. They started crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And then a riot broke out. The city was filled with confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them uh, Gaius and Aristarchus, who were with Paul. And then skipping on down, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. As I was reading, I, I thought, you know, this isn't much different than our life today in America. Because of confusion and lack of even knowing what's being said, we're just stirred up so we can't even hear the voice of God. There was confusion. And most of them did not even know why they had come together. Now, some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. Alexander was a Jewish leader in that area, represented God, but shrunk into the form of man. See, the Jewish people at that day did not believe that Jesus came to save them. They did not believe that there was freedom beyond the bounds of law, beyond the fence. And, and when you don't walk in the freedom of Jesus, in the Holy Spirit, you don't have the respect of those around you. Alexander, a Jewish leader, stepped up to try to get the riot quieted. But they did not respect him because they did not respect what he represented. And because of that, the riot did not cease because of his words. See, there was a religion in that day. There were synagogues. There were temples in that day that people could go to. But they weren't respected because they were still within the confines of man. They were still fenced off and chained up. They did not step into the freedom of Jesus and what Jesus had for them. They had become church irrelevant in a city that needed to know Christ. A city that was bound in believing in a goddess, Artemis, or Artemis. They were no longer a church relevant. Today, we have a nation that riots, that's full of confusion. We have lives that are broken and hurting. And they need a relevant church that's free, that understands breakthrough, that they can respect and know is genuine and real. That's what Paul was presenting to them at that time. That's, that's why the word can start with 12 and then reach all of Asia. To take territory, we have to be offensive, though. A stirring must occur. Conflict may happen. But ultimately, according to his will, we have final victory. Say victory. I'll stop for a second. What is it you need victory for? In your personal life, what is it? Now with me, say victory. Mean it. Victory. Victory. 
You believe it? Here's where Paul was. How did he view his life? Acts 20, verse 24 says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He did not see his life as having any value to himself. And what I find that's interesting in that, because of that mindset, he was able to break through every time there was something that would try to hold him back. Because when we usually get stuck, it's because we have value in our life as if it's our own. And it's the own value that we place on our own life that tends to be the thing that the enemy uses to hold us back. Paul understood the, the eternal life given by God versus the personal self-focused life in a wrong perspective. Philippians 1.20, where he writes to the people in Philippi, it says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Why did the sons of Sceva get cast out naked and beaten? Because they wanted to be recognized. But Paul was only recognized because they knew Jesus in him. And and how was that possible? Because he had full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. So... If you're on the edge of breakthrough, how do you step through it? It's taking that time to say, Lord, I am crucified with you. Nevertheless, I live. But it's you, Christ, that lives in me. You're the hope. You, Christ, will be honored in my body. And he goes on to say, whether by life or by death. And this popular scripture Philippians 1.23, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. It says in the New Living Translation, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even, even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Why do we live? Why do we have a breath to breathe? Why do we still exist if, if I'm so bound up and tied up and I can't move beyond the boundary? It's because he knows that you have the ability to be fruitful for Christ. Your opportunity to be fruitful for, fruitful for him still exists. He believes in your breakthrough. He sees your breakthrough. He's waiting for you to see it as he sees it. He's looking for you to do it as he's already done it for you. Imagine being in this place where he goes on in verse 23 of Philippians 1. It says, he himself, he had this internal battle going on. He says, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live because he wanted to continue to live and be fruitful. Life is about being fruitful. It's about seeing his word being spread and, 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 and breaking through. What was the word I used earlier was that it would increase and prevail. There is, though, some would say, but Pastor, if if I live my life fully for him, am I going to be destitute and and miserable? And and there's some of those, maybe you've met Christians that that walk around with their head down and, oh, I'm just living for Christ today. I'm going to sacrifice all joy and all happiness for the sake of the Lord. Woe is me, the Christian. I don't see it as much today, but there was a day when I was younger, where you would see people that would 
almost beat themselves emotionally just so that they could be humble for Christ. That's not what we're talking about with this. To be crucified with Christ comes with many benefits. To live a life for Christ comes with many benefits. In Matthew 6, 19, it says, in verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Who, who's looking to build their mansion in heaven right now? You have... I. I don't care what you have as far as earthly belongings because we are eternal beings that will live beyond this time in life. What's your heavenly treasures look like? It's okay, I think, to be greedy on a heavenly level. It's kind of an oxymoron type of a thing here where I'm doing this for you because I'm really doing it for me in heaven. Selah. Think about it. Earthly treasures not laid up. Earthly treasures. What are some of your earthly treasures? Think about it. What are you storing up for yourself here on earth? Who's, had a, uh, who's ever had a vehicle break down on them? Who's ever had a brand new vehicle and then over time watched it break down on you? Every time you drive a car down the road, guess what happens? You start adding miles to it and it starts breaking down. Last night I was coming back from Vallejo with the boys and, and alongside of the road, it, traffic was all backed up and a car had rolled. And as we go by, it's laying on its side completely smashed and, and uh, moth and rust will destroy things. I think that's what was kind of happening in Ephesus. They had idols. And that business was starting to fade away. In our lives today, we have idols. You say, well, I don't have idols. Well, where's your money going? Because that's where, because again, idolatry, as I've read it so far in the last couple of chapters of Acts, has all been tied around money. When, when the when the fortune-telling girl had the demon cast out of her, all of a sudden what got them upset was the fact they couldn't make money on it any longer. As they started to proclaim, as Paul was proclaiming that there's a, a true God and that you can be saved through Jesus, now gods made by the hands of man are no longer valid. Then all of a sudden riots break out because financially it was a bad thing for the, the local businessmen. So am I saying that if you want breakthrough, you need to look how you're spending your money? Not directly. I'm talking about your heart, though. I, for one, who likes uh, retail therapy? Do you know what retail therapy is? It's just, I've had enough, enough is enough, I just need some clothes, or I just need an electronic gadget, or, or whatever that might be, so you just do it. And you feel good. Until the clothes don't fit, or they wear out, or the gadget breaks. Don't lay up for yourself earthly treasures, but lay up for yourself Heavenly treasures. Earthly treasures not laid up for you or laid up are put to work in helping people. The, the earthly treasures, the things that you acquire, the, the wealth you try to build, the stuff you try to obtain, if you, if you utilize those things to actually help others, you begin to lay up treasures in heaven. Acts 20.35 says, In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Paul had an eternal approach to life. His perspective was a kingdom perspective. He understood that his life was not his own. Philippians 3.12 tells us that not that I, Paul says that not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You are not your own. You are his. Do you get that? You're his. You belong to him. You are not your own. Brothers, I do not consider, he says, that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting that what, that, that what lies behind, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that prize? It's, it's eternity with him. We press on towards that. But if I'm to press on, and as he says, not looking behind, not looking back at, the, at the, the leash that's got me bound within this territory, not, not even recognizing that it exists, but I look forward to the prize. The, the forward prize is this eternal life, this, this focusing my eyes on heavenly things. We get bound up. I, I, I'm seeing these young men sitting in the back, and I'm thinking, oh, to be in high school again. I don't know if I'd survive in high school again. But the battle over their lives and the lives of all of our students is what? Let's get their focus on earthly things. The enemy wants their focus on earthly things, not heavenly things. What are earthly things? Well, you graduate high school and you have to do what? You have to go to college. You have to go to college so you can get a good job. Now, I'm not against any of that, but I have to get a good job so I can get some stuff. And that stuff that I'm getting are earthly treasures. And I'm going to acquire and get and build and develop an empire unto man. And, and that's the idolatry that was going on in the city of Ephesus. That's the idolatry that goes on today here in our country. But we're to set our eyes on heavenly things, building up heavenly treasures, not looking behind at the failures and the things that have held us back, but focusing our, our eyes on the things ahead, pressing on. That's pressing, pressing on to break through. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's about the time that if you're in the midst of a trial, you just kind of want to grab James by the throat and shake him. What do you mean, count it all joy, when you meet trials of various kinds? Because in the midst of the trial, our great Redeemer can take that time and bring abundant worth to it. There isn't time in this life that's worthless if our eyes are focused on Him. There's not time in this life that's worthless if we're not laying up earthly treasures. James was a strong believer. And he refers to us as brothers. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Count it all joy when you face trials, because guess what? We're getting more perfect. Let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, 
lacking in nothing. We're in this day of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Count it all joy that you're hungry or you're going without. Why? Because you're growing. Count it all joy that there's conflict and there's, there's issues. Why? Because you're going to grow. You may be perfect and complete. The steadfastness that comes from various trials brings a completion in all of us as believers to a point that we'd be lacking in nothing. He didn't say, count it all joy, brothers, when you have the nicest house and the newest car and, and you have you know, peace in the household and all your family's with you and, and there's no issues and everybody's healthy. He didn't say that. But yet, we look to that and say, that's where I find my joy. No, he's saying, count it all joy. That when Christ is working in you, he's going to bring it about to the place that you're lacking in nothing. He didn't say you're going to have all this stuff. But everything you need, you're going to have and you won't lack any of it. Count it all joy in the midst of trials. Count it all joy when you're on the edge of breakthrough and tension is strong. Count it all joy. The joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. So count it all joy. Be strong. Press on. Push through. Because on the other side of the tension is breakthrough where there is lacking nothing. Now, James goes on in that same chapter and says, but don't just listen to God's word. Church, don't just listen to this. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. My son and I have had a lot of talk about schoolwork because I'm that kind of dad. And I'll say, well, you need to study. Well, dad, if I study too far before the test, I'll forget by the time the test comes. Anybody else like that? Cram to the very last second so that way you can do well on your test. That's kind of like looking at yourself in the mirror, walking away and forgetting what you look like. It's, it's getting enough information retained for a short amount of time, but not applying it so you actually get it. It's, it's hearing the word, but not putting it right to action so that you actually understood why that word was true. If you don't put the word into action, what will happen is it becomes something you'll just forget about. Tomorrow, when you're at work or you're at home and a trial comes and you hear that word, count it all joy. And you're like, ah, I'm joyful. Can't you tell? But do it. Because if you don't do it, the next Sunday will come and you'll be kicking rocks and it'll be the same rocks you were kicking this Sunday. He goes on, it says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget. So for you that are in school, this is biblical advice to schoolwork. Do what you're told. If you just listen to what you're told, you may not get it. If you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Count it all joy. As I wrap up, church, we as a body of believers are to turn the world upside down much like Paul did. We're not to be insignificant or irrelevant. We're to be very real. But for that to happen, then we're going to have to be willing to walk in freedom and in breakthrough. Church, this is what it looks like. 
Jesus told Peter in Matthew 16, verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. You've heard that verse. We've said it, but that's just part A. Part B of the verse says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So a church walking in breakthrough, people of the church walking in breakthrough, what's that look like? Well, I was thinking about what's it look like when a gate prevails? Because I've never seen really a gate do anything but block or protect or stay closed. A gate prevails when the gate is not overcome. And it says here where the gates of hell will not prevail. Church, we're to be a church that prevails over, overcomes the gates of hell. Hell, In this city, in this community, in our lives, hell is prevailing over areas of our lives, over our city, over people. And the church, it says the gates of hell will not prevail. Church relevant is a church that's going and knocking down gates and breaking down barriers and overcoming the things that are holding people in their places. It's tearing down the gates and setting people free. The gates of hell will not prevail. We're not to be a defensive group of people. We're supposed to be offensive, out there pushing down gates, setting people free. And as we're doing that, breaking through our own things that are holding us back. I wrote this note to myself earlier. A church in constant intercession for others is one where every member of the body is protected and free to prevail by the Holy Spirit against the gates of hell. What happens is, is if we're not interceding for one another and covering each other's back, then when this person struggles or that person struggles and they stop moving forward against the gates of hell, then the gates of hell begin to prevail. But when the church is the New Testament church and we're interceding and standing in the gap for one another, to intercede is just that. It's to pray on behalf of somebody else and their needs. And when everybody is interceding for one another, then the church is able to overcome the gates of hell. It's time for us to get over our own personal stuff and focus our thoughts on heavenly things, on the eternal, on freedom, on a life lacking nothing. It's for us to bind together and come together and intercede for one another. Because the promise is all the world will shout his praise. Great is the Lord. And it happens when the church overcomes the gates of hell.